Hello, and welcome to Africa Tech Summit Connects, sharing insights from across the African tech scene. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Nairobi 2022, taking place on February 23rd and 24th in Kenya. Africa Tech Summit Nairobi will connect 500 industry leaders and share insights from the Money and DeFi Summit, the Startup Summit, and the Mobile Summit. Network and do business with tech leaders, investors, startups, and leading ventures from the Africa Tech ecosystem over two days with multiple networking events at our 10th live edition. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Nairobi, where African Tech connects February 23rd and 24th, 2022. To see more details, please visit www.africatechsummit.com. That's Africa Tech Summit. Dot com. Now back to this great episode. Hello and welcome to today's show. My name is Andrew Fastinch, founder of Africa Tech Summit. In today's episode, we're unpacking the new world of crypto, decentralized finance and CBDCs across the continent. Today, I'm joined by Carmel Cadet, founder of EM Tech, a fintech for modern central banking. We're going to unpack all that in a short while. Welcome, Carmel. Thank you, Andrew. Great to have you. Um, some of our listeners may know Carmel is actually a member of the Africa Tech Summit Advisory Board. We're delighted to have her. Um, and the reason Carmel is on our advisory board is she's doing amazing things across the continent with CBDCs and EM Tech. And before we get into, into all that, uh, tell us some more about Carmel Cadet, where you come from, how you've managed to get into this whole industry and, and, and your journey so far. Well, Andrew, it's really exciting to uh, be talking to you because I remember the first time I attended the Africa Tech Summit in Rwanda, it was such a success. So thank you for organizing. Thank you for pulling the stakeholders together to make it a very informative and insightful experience to discover Africa, to discover the opportunities across Africa. But um, so I'll give you a bit about myself. I am originally from Haiti. Um, I like to tell uh, people when I'm in Africa that I was born at the end of the movie and uh, coming back to Africa and traveling to Ghana, which is the first country I, um, I visited when I came to when I came to the continent. Um, it felt like going back to the beginning of the movie. So born and raised in Haiti, moved to the U.S. when I was about 16. Uh, and for me, that is uh, a core part of why I do what I do today. I always remember discovering the financial system um, that exists in the U.S. and how different it was um, from Haiti. Um, you know, growing up, the FX rate is a daily conversation. It's either you're trying to get U.S. dollars or you're trying to sell U.S. dollars because money people sent money um, from abroad. And it was really tough to manage. Uh, you know, Haiti has about 60% uh, unbanked population. And an underbanked population is even greater. So finding ways to uh, solve problem around financial inclusion is something that was always at my heart um, from the time I could understand the, the U.S. financial system. So, but it didn't automatically start there. I um, went to college and found uh, found a, a great opportunity to join IBM to an internship, and I spent ten years built a career there. Uh, corporate finance business executive um, development for blockchain division as well as I was um, finishing up. So it, it was a great experience that really led me into the tech space. Um, so tech and financial services, or you would say financial services, then got into tech. For me, um, that's the combination that brings me here. Good story. Um, and I suppose a lot of similarities between Caribbean and African countries, uh, some more developed than others, but the same yeah. problems you see exist. That's right. And I think even in Haiti, the you can definitely see that when you realize that the um, M-Pesa model was from Kenya is an example of what was first deployed as mobile money in Haiti as well. Um, Digicel is a major um, telco company in Haiti, and they have um, Mokash, which is essentially an M-Pesa, um, a similar uh, solution to M-Pesa. Um, provided a lot of financial financial services to the un underbanked, um, unbanked uh, 
payment services are important no matter how rich or poor you are as a country. Um, I tell people that, you know, even if you don't have money and actually people who don't have a lot of money usually end up spending more just because services are more expensive and um, it's very expensive to be poor, like they said. So the the opportunity um, for, for me was always clear. It was always a matter of how do we bridge the gap? And Africa has done amazing um, as far as discovering and investing in certain solution and infrastructures that um, the world will benefit from. Um, but yes, absolutely, a bridge between Africa and the Caribbean is something that is very dear to my heart. And that's why I've, I only focus on um, mainly on those um, two two sides of the world. So you went on you went on a career path. You went into blockchain, and then you had a brainwave around MTech, um, and it's a fintech for modern central banking. What does that mean? And tell us more about it. Sure. So I am the founder and CEO of MTech, and the idea of modernizing central banking is something that is new. Um, but also something that is absolutely impactful and critical um, to p- everyone's finances. Every everyday payments that we make um, rely on central banking systems being functional and being efficient for everyone. But um, as I was saying, the the combination of financial services and technology. Um, brought me to be very interested in, you know, how do we use modern technology to solve those problems? So the first time I heard about blockchain, it wasn't particularly in the context of Bitcoin. Um, it was in the context of um, understanding the technology itself, blockchain itself. And I fell in love with the concept of n- using a technology that did not care where you came from, did not care how much money you had, Um, did not care who you have a bank account with in order for you to access financial services. For me, it was the first light bulb moment um, on, wow, blockchain can be very powerful um, to financial inclusion, to the problem that I was trying to solve. Then as I was working at IBM, um, I had the opportunity to discover um, central bank digital currencies because Bahamas at the time um, had you know expressed interest to do their central bank digital currency, at least their modernization of payment system, and were interested in blockchain technology to do that. So it was great to work with some partners, and we saw we got to learn and see what was the opportunity in the market. And at the time, it was a really risky bet. There was no clear path around this, and it, there was no no clear business you know strategy about it either. But it was something that I was very personal to me, connecting the dots um, between blockchain and cash, right, in order to digitize the most used financial asset that an unbanked person, an underbanked person in emerging market uses every day, for me, was another light bulb moment to say, how can we bring blockchain to central banks? Because they're the one legally that have the power and the ability that today to print paper cash, can we use that and put it on a blockchain and provide inclusion by design? That was the idea that I decided to leave IBM to start MTech to go explore, go figure it out, go see if there was a market there. Um, and boy, <laughs> did we discover that and more. Um, you know, and, and when I look at the company now, so it's been two and a half years, we took a step back as we were talking to central banks um, across the Caribbean and the Bahamas, uh, sorry, the Caribbean and Africa. Um, there was a major opportunity to not only digitize cash for central banks, but the innovation itself that came with blockchain, what a lot of people call Web 3.0, you would call it, right? Um, is that that was going to run into a brick wall that is called regulation. And if we did not also, and ironically, and not ironically, but, you know, insightfully, the regulators that would make the decision to digitize cash and use blockchain are also the ones that regulate the financial sector. So can we enable them to move ahead in the Web3.0 world where they solve more than one problem, right? More than one problems. Not only do they become innovative themselves by digitizing cash and banking, you know, anyone who's 
using digital cash, but also how do they foster this innovation that is blockchain and given how powerful and how much it could solve problems that they have. That was a big connector for us. So uh, let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, um, you went and decided, yeah, I'll, I'll go straight after central banks, which is probably not the uh, the lowest hanging fruit in terms of uh, getting things done fast. Um, so building tech for African and Caribbean central banks, you know, it's a pretty hard thing, I'm sure. Why has that been your approach and how's it been going? Sure. So when we started talking to central banks, um, it, we I actually took the approach of having a listening session with central banks. Um, and my approach was either moderating panels, um, inviting and participating in panels, um, and listening to the pain points that central banks had. And strategically, yes, maybe, you know, going in, we are trying to find the angle and say, we discovered something. We discovered a technology that can solve financial inclusion. Okay, great. But now, you know, why should I care kind of thing, right? That's what everybody would say. Like, okay, great. Good for you. Why, what, what, what's in it for me? And listening to central banks, we started connecting the dots between what were their pain points, what were, what were keeping them up at night. <laughs> and not everybody usually goes there to, to ask that right? Not a lot of tech providers would go to the central bank and say, what's keeping you up at night? I mean, there are a few for sure, but we said, <laughs> um, risk, risk that they wake up one day that they have no control of an economy. And I, I think we can, we can debate, you know, the goods and the bads and that kind of stuff. But when you think about running an economy and having a functioning financial system, one of the reasons why I got impressed or, you know, wowed by the financial system compared to where I was coming from is because there were rules. And when someone said that they were going to give you a check and you go into a different bank and you cash a check and somebody really gives you money, there are rules on how a system to work and what you can and cannot do. So innovation comes into the system. Is there a risk that is also introduced to technology that exposes either the consumer or who can do what? Um, I, I I follow. I'm on the mailing list of Africa Tech Summit. You know how you know things can go bad and how much money can get lost in current you know digital currency projects. Should there be a balance between regulation and innovation? And that's what we're setting out to find a balance for, as far as how technology can bridge that gap, because there are things that keep the regulator up at night that is good for the broader economy. Consumer protection is something that is across the board. Everyone wants that. No one wants to call their mom and say, yeah, buy some Bitcoin and then go use an app where you're not going to be able to find your money. You, you wouldn't tell your mom to do that. You wouldn't tell your parents or your friend or your sister to do that, right? And who makes the rules and how do, that you, how do you enable safe innovation, but not a brick wall? Right, removing the brick wall is also an opportunity that we found in saying, how can central banks actually leverage fintech to solve some of those problems? That for us, we we don't have a, another app that we're going to put out to solve financial inclusion, but in talking to central banks um, and the approach that we're taking is because of that. We were able to connect the dots between how can we help central banks do what they do best as far as being regulators and enablers of um, sound financial markets, but also not see technology as 100% bad. How can they leverage technology and how can they be catalysts for safer innovation later? So you, you touched on some good points there around, you know, regulation killing the innovation um, that they bring. Um, what are you seeing in Africa with regard to, you know, the regulation given the innovation? Or are you seeing that, you know, some of these uh, central banks and regulators are, are beginning to open up in terms of their, their thought process? Obviously, crypto um, brought a wave of, of fear, I think, with central banks. Um, what are you seeing now? I mean, we've had shutdowns in Nigeria and different other countries where they've banned crypto. Um, and how, you know, when you go in and speak to these central bankers, um, you know, what's the response you're getting? when you start to speak about some of these areas now? 
You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. The conversations from central bank to central banks differ. And I think it's a reflection of they are in different stages of economic development. They are in different stages of um, macroeconomic policies and what their economy can take right now and what they're reacting to. But one thing that is now across the board, and I can see it because it was very different from when I first attended a conference in Ghana and talking about blockchain, and I was, you know, almost booted out of the room. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, right. You know, no one is going to be doing this stuff. Get out of here. Um, but now, you know, Nigeria is the third largest country on any given month on crypto, you know, transactions and or. But they've also banned it. You know, they've also banned it. So how how do you overcome the regulator who you know? He, he, he wants this not in, 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 in no, the financial system. I, I think it's it's a really good point that you that you bring up because I think in that decision, and especially in Nigeria as a market, um, you can see the the gaps and the difficulties of being able to understand this and also regulate it efficiently because the SEC had a different approach versus the CBN. And the CBN has gone, you know, um, out there many times to say, we're not bending crypto, we're just don't want it in our banking system, which yes, that took a definite, that definitely took a hit on the use of Bitcoin, but the peer-to-peer market is still very much vibrant, right? The peer-to-peer market is viable as an alternative, but it is a very high-risk high side of you know, the crypto economy. So I think over time, um, with understanding and with better visibility, what we're hoping is that we can help explain and translate what the emerging technologies are doing to regulators in order for them to regulate in a relevant way, regulate in a way that protects and not um, mitigate the innovation. Because in our conversation with the fintechs, one thing that is pretty amazing to us that we discovered over the past year and a half, fintechs are very willing to engage. The fintechs are willing, they share data anyway with the regulator, right? But the difficulty, the friction that happens between central banks in Africa and the fintech, um, we think a lot of it um, is lack of data, lack of visibility, lack of understanding what the solutions are doing in order for you to have consumer protection and risk mitigating factors and compliance um, tools in place for Web 3.0, for this new world of virtual currency and digital currency. Yes, you cannot stop Bitcoin um, from mining, you can't stop everyone from mining Bitcoin. Um, but can you put a structure in place where Bitcoin is visible and you understand where money is? Because it's a real risk to the economy, right? Um, imagine everyone, you know, Bitcoin goes to a million dollars and everyone wants to cash out into fiat. There's not enough money in fiat to satisfy that, to satisfy those calls, right? And that, uh, that th- those are very difficult components that as you're thinking about um, the massive opportunity that digital currency and the digital economy and digital assets more broadly, it's not just money, digital assets more broadly, I think the regulatory framework and the role of the central banks we discovered are going to be critical to the success or failure of this opportunity. And that's what we're focusing on. So we're we're talking about central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. we also have stable coins and we've got crypto. Um, what are some of the opportunities for fintechs, banks and regulators and all of these? And, and, and what are your thoughts on, on the various aspects? Yeah, so to continue on the, the previous question, I mean, other central banks across Africa um, are looking at this not only to issue their CBDC, but like I said, the regulatory aspect of it, how do you get moving on that, right? I mean, today we're talking about banning crypto and bans and limitations on cryptos, but we still, you know, 
there's still the conversation about stable coin that needs to come up. <laughs> what what are we going to talk about stable coins? And you know, CBDC right now is being rolled out. So Nigeria is testing theirs. Ghana will be testing theirs. As you know, we're working with the Bank of Ghana on deploying a regulatory sandbox. This has been a project that's you know, very exciting for us. And I think you'll hear more um, over the next couple of months from the Bank of Ghana and ourselves. But the um, I don't want to speak for them, but we'll, that's the timing that we're aligning on. And I think that's going to be very exciting. But when we think about the opportunity that's happening here, CBDC, crypto, stable coins are three variant of digital currencies that will play different roles and have different and have different implications um, on the the access the risk associated, the volatility associated with the price, each of them will have implication and the users will want to use them for different types of transactions. So what you're saying, you know, what you're seeing here, the fact that we're having a conversation about digital currencies that are very different um, and represent money in different ways is because there is a massive demand for better financial services. And that demand is not only for people who are unbanked now, is that you see people who are banked and who invest in traditional assets are looking for better ways and new innovative ways for them to either grow their wealth, um, get access to faster and better payments, um, and businesses and corporations are also going to tap into that, we think. So, and government as well. Government as well, because a central bank issuing a digital currency, stable coins being able to issue, you know, U.S., um, you have Miami that is issuing, you know, a Miami coin. Um, it's It can be very complicated depending on the business, um, the business setup and the economics of a particular token. That's why right now what we're seeing that central banks are actively asking us for are regulatory sandboxes. And that's something for us is very exciting because we found in, in talking to central banks, we found a tool that they are familiar with and that fintechs are also familiar with, but in a different way. You know, most fintechs have sandboxes now, but technical sandboxes, right? And the regulator has a regulatory sandbox policy, which is a PDF on a website we're taking those two concepts and putting them together and how do you enable a regulator before they you know spent years researching technology and reading about it and consulting with their peers we think there's great value in seeing live control data to understand emerging technologies faster and that's something that we're going to help with stable coins with crypto with cbdc's we're going to help central bank test those faster in an innovative way so regulatory sandboxes, regulatory APIs, um, we'll be talking about those a lot over the next few weeks. Very good. I mean, if we look at CBDCs and we look at what's happened in Nigeria with the eNaira, it's been pretty mixed. Um, you know, there's just obviously been some teething issues with the, the app and, and different things there. Um, but it begs the question as well. I mean, if we look at the population of Nigeria, you know, a massive country, um, does everybody have a smartphone to download an app? Is this inclusive finance if 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 not everybody can have an app on their phone? Um, and that's without getting into the, the environmental impacts of, of, of uh, energy and efficiency and things like that, that, that CBDCs now uh, require um, to, to, to survive and, and, and operate on, on massive servers and things like that. So um, what's your take so far on the, on the eNaira launch in Nigeria, you know, from, from, from your professional standpoint and the business you're in? Um, and, you know, is this serving the people? If, if um, I mean, I think I was seeing, you know, they had a couple of hundred thousand downloads of this app for the, for the population of Nigeria, which is immense. Obviously, it's a new technology, but it'd be good to yeah. get your your thoughts on those and, and where you see it going? Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, I was part of the the engagement with Enzia as part of um, the Bahamas deployment. 
Um, and that gave me a reference of, you know, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to roll out a project. It takes a lot to bring a solution to market. And it takes time to, to do it successfully. And I think you have to give the central bank time to um, roll out something like this. As you know, MTech was one of the five top firms they settled on and had final conversations with. Um, you know, there are several CBDC providers out there. But um, one thing I, I won't speak to, to I guess, technical competitors um, solution, right? But I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, yes, the approach that you're, you're mentioning right now as far as CBDC having a focus on financial inclusion um, for us led us to think about how do we integrate CBDC um, with what unbanked, um, the unbanked are using today. Um, and that for us, especially when it comes to thinking about Africa, you have a lot of fintechs that are reaching out to the unbanked. You have mobile network operators who invested a lot over the past years, over the past decades on building the telco, the telco networks, right, to, to serve. And mobile money in Africa is unique. It's not done like anywhere around the world, right? It's a unique infrastructure that I think you'll see in the future uh, play a big role as far as merging the digital asset world to the low infrastructure person in the remote area. Um, so imagine bringing telco with blockchain, right? Imagine bringing telco with digital asset. Imagine bringing the fintechs with digital assets. You're talking about trade. You're talking about money. You're talking about healthcare. You're talking about efficient government services. You're talking about inclusion by design. When you make a CBDC um, ready to be integrated with multiple channels, that for us is our design for inclusion and um, for us, the integration into the mobile network operators is something we think can be very powerful. And the integration into the fintechs, we're already doing that. We're already testing with fintechs, um, with our wallet API. And you'll be hearing more next year about that too. Um, some major fintechs in the US and in Africa are talking to us about this. So um, that's something that we're, we're doing for, for the region as we, as we continue to talk to them. And you mentioned telcos there. I mean, that, that's an exciting idea around, you know, what the telcos can do and, and the, the gatekeepers they are with the mobile money wallets. Are you having any conversations with telcos around around crypto or, or what's the response being from, from the telco uh, world? We are. I mean, the ecosystem for us, we have an ecosystem play, right? The, the, the view when it comes to CBDC um, and same as Sandbox is, is that, you have an idea of a regulator in a central bank that has some mandates that they're trying to achieve, and they also have an ecosystem that they have to work with. Um, what is happening right now is that the ecosystem is in the midst of transforming, where the banks, the telcos, the fintechs, they each have a role to play, but you can definitely see the competition. You can definitely see the pressure, um, but you can see the collaboration. You can see where does the bank wants to play and invest versus where the fintech wants to play and invest, where does the telco wants to play and invest. Um, but you know, you could argue that this is all fintech, right? This is all fintech. And how do you play in this new ecosystem um, will depend on um, Yes, the capabilities of a CBDC platform, but more importantly, on the regulatory framework and the rules that govern how the ecosystem engages and plugs into your CBDC. Um, so it's one thing to have the policy. It's another thing to have the technology. It's one thing to have the technology and not have the policy. We love the idea of both. You need both in order for you to be thoughtful, in order for you to be um, focus on a particular outcome. And if financial inclusion is an outcome, um, I testified about that on, Cong on US Congress too. And I had the same, you know, um, in my written testimony that I sent over, that was essentially my big recommendation is that in order, you know, as you're thinking about CBDC, if your outcome is financial inclusion, walk back from there in order for you to make sure that you're, you're achieving that outcome. Um, and, and if you do, you kind of have to walk back. You'll walk into a technical design that um, is built for that. 
And that's where that's that for us is important when it comes to CBDC deployment. So I think you'll, you know, give the central bank some time on 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 figuring that out. It's a big project. Um, you know, and I and I I've I've mentioned that on 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 LinkedIn and, and on my post. I I want Nigeria to succeed. That's that's the goal. I want Africa to succeed. I want Ghana to succeed. I want Caribbean to succeed. And our pipeline and our announcements and the engagement that we're signing right now, um, even if we don't win the CBDC, we have multiple products that we sell to central banks. So we have two products that we're selling to central banks. And for us, the, the opportunity continues where how do we think about CBDC, but how do you think about the broader ecosystem regulatory framework? So tell us about the products, I mean, and, and, and the benefit then really for the central bank and also for the fintech on the other side and, and you know, the, the problem that you're really solving there. Well, imagine if you were a new crypto company going into a country right now and want to launch a new exchange or a new crypto service. In most countries in Africa right now, you'll probably get told no or that there is no regulatory framework for you to operate under, right? Um, a lot of fintechs have to jump through a lot of hoops to either redesign a product or um, find the right partnership, the bank partnership, but if the innovation is out of the regulatory framework, sometimes the banks don't want to engage either. So it's a bigger problem when it comes to bringing innovation to market um, that don't yet have regulatory coverage. And what we've been working on over the past year and a half is to say, how can we use data to inform the regulator faster on the innovation in order for them to feel comfortable letting and creating framework and letting fintechs go to market and bring those solutions. This is important because you have big challenges that you're trying to solve, but it takes time to change regulation. And innovation is moving way faster than, you know, you can go into a retreat, you can go, you know, have peer reviews, of regulation and kind of think through what are the testing criteria? What are we trying to avoid? Should this be done? Should this not be done? The a digital regulatory sandbox moves away, you know, all the data information that the regulator usually has on a desk sitting somewhere because the fintech or the innovator provides information. And how do they take information and take use data analytics and use modern platforms? and API-led models for us to say, FinTech, you can share your information in real time with a regulator for a new crypto service that you're going to bring to market. And regulator, you can have visibility on day one on solutions going to market. That way you can feel comfortable and say, how can we regulate this? How should we regulate this? And you do it in a collaborative way. That for us is a groundbreaking innovation when you think about understanding what the world of Web3 <laughs> is, right? Like what, what is our new reality and how do we bring regulatory frameworks along and in a way that works for the regulator and for the innovator. So the, on the innovator side, um, we're launching... Um, a regulatory API that's going to allow them to participate in Sandbox. And for the regulator, we're launching regulatory um, dashboards for them to understand the data and being able to do data analytics and engage with the regulator, with the innovators. That's for us, the regulatory Sandbox. And I talked to you about the CBDC earlier, but CBDC for us um, is a financial inclusion play. And we think it's unique. Um, because we look at a central bank the way they are, um, which most mandates align with being an infrastructure provider and ensuring efficient payment systems for everyone. Um, in addition to, you know, again, most central banks, some, some countries have a, a different structure. So they not only, you know, ensure the efficiency of the payment systems, but they also 
are currency providers, sovereign currency providers. And sovereign currency is a unique currency. We can debate, you know, the economics, the fluctuation, you know, the one-sided um, or lack of economic diversity that makes currencies very volatile and so on. You, we can talk about that, but sovereign currency is, you know, one, a matter of sovereignty. Um, sovereign currency is also unique from a legal perspective, being legal tender. And going into the world of digital currencies and digital money, do we want to maintain a form of money in this new world that is actually tied back to, you know, laws that are governed by people. And when we think about stable coin, that will be different. When we think about crypto, that will be different. And so the combination between CBDCs, stable coins, crypto, is what we see as a resilient financial market infrastructure. Um, yes, central banks are limited in what they can do but they do one thing and that's, you know, by law, the ability to print cash, but they can't provide loans to people. They can't provide student loans. They can't provide credit. They can't provide, um, you know, retirement accounts. So there's a role, there's a big role for a broader financial service ecosystem. And I think that's the demand that you're seeing right now that's fueling FinTech. But how do you get, this key anchor, this key stakeholder in the ecosystem, um, how do you bring them along? And, I, and we think there's a role to play here. And for us, that's CBDC and maintaining cash, the sovereign cash um, into, into the new world in order for it to be interoperable, accessible, cheaper, um, reliable. Again, I think until we get to a world, and maybe we will get there sooner than later, but until we get to a world where everyone stays in the, in the virtual ecosystem and just uses virtual currency, um, you will want to cash out your bets into your bank account at some point, right? So you can do other things. That's, that's the reality of it. Yeah, I think we've seen that with the trial in, in, in uh, El Salvador. Um, you know, people cashed out their their crypto pretty quickly. Some some held onto it, but um, from what I see in in, in uh, that trial, that you know, some people quickly needed to get their cash and they need the rails to get that money out into back into the system. Um, but you raised an you know an interesting point earlier on that you know if if everyone in crypto is trying to liquidate, um. The liquidity is is, is is immense. So are central banks very concerned about that? Yes. Yes, they are. And, and I think that, you know, it's not something that we do enough when it comes to talking about crypto, right? I mean, I... I don't think I need to to defend my my credibility on on crypto. I'm a, I'm a crypto holder, and you know we're part of the ecosystem. And the reason that we're doing what we're doing is because we see the value in crypto and blockchain and so on, right? Um, but if you take an example of, you know, GameStop, or I think the other day I was watching the um, GYEN um, token. Um, debacle with Coinbase Pro, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, you can have anyone launch a token. Yeah. And this thing becomes valuable beyond your ears and numbers sometimes that you can't comprehend. It's not real money, right? It can't be because, yes, the concept is what is money? And it's all about what someone is willing to take from you, or at least a form of payment is whatever someone is willing to take from you in exchange for something else. Yes, we get that. But we have developed systems for that form of exchange to primarily be currencies. I don't think we're going to go back to bartering, although you might have exchanges that don't include money. But for the most part, I think we expect to continue to use money. And if we continue to use money, then we have to have a conversation on how is this money created? Just because something is valued at something does not mean that there's enough cash in the system to support that valuation. And the test for that is if everyone at any particular time cashed out their Bitcoin 
at the highest price in the market, there would be a shortage of currency. Just print more. <laughs> that's, that's what banks are doing right now. Just keep printing. Um, yes, which is where we're seeing except, such high inflation. You're right, except the difference is, you're absolutely right. The difference is in this point it, is that you have a physical world where someone can go through a process to rectify the problem. In the world of Bitcoin, you're not, you can't call anyone, right? If you don't have enough money to cash out, if all the channels were to shut down, you would be stuck with Bitcoin. And if it cradled to zero, there's no one that you can call to rectify that, right? So now there's an ecosystem being built around that. Yes, can you get insurance on your Bitcoin? Can you get, you know, options? Can you invest and, you know, with um, a guaranteed rate of return? There are services building around that. But it doesn't change the economics of it that it is the value of it does not match the asset, the the supply of the asset that you as the holder would want to convert into. And that's the risk that we're taking. We're we're all taking, and I hope that most people who get into Bitcoin understand the risk, but that's why regulators are trying to understand this, right? How do you tell a user that this money that you have in your Bitcoin might not be redeemable and it could go all to zero? And is the central bank supposed to be on the hook to cash out everyone from Bitcoin? I mean, they could, they, they, <laughs> they print it, right? They can just print more money and cash us out. That's yeah, it, it, it is a fascinating... Uh look at what, what what is to come but i also love 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 to dig deeper in terms of um you know you've started this business a couple of years ago yeah. and it's become a fast-paced environment and you're, you're building this company um quickly and, and and as the environment changes how has it been i mean uh building the company and, and fundraising um <laughs> how's that been going um, I, I'm very fortunate that I had a background in, you know, at IBM to, to build on. One thing that I try to communicate now, just because I have a bit more, um, you know, perspective, but, you know, picking a problem to go solve for has always been my anchor. And for me, as long as I can recognize that this problem still exists, then it tells me that we still have something to do here, right? And it's a matter of finding the right angle. Um, I was talking to the team. I can tell how our um, how we evolved as far as how do we present a problem um, that we're solving for. Yes, it is about financial inclusion. Yes, it is about financial market resilience. But what does that mean as the world is changing? Um, you know, now we weren't talking about that two years ago, but now we're talking about how do we enable central banks to think about ESG guidelines and deploying CBDCs? How do we think about enabling fintechs to become more ESG compliant? And how do we enable regulators to even give guidance on what would be good some ESG metrics that... Um, would show goodwill, would show, um, you know, sustainability of the business. So we picked a problem. Um, I'm not a central banker, however. So you would say, how did you end up in central banking? But I found the right advisors. Um, I had a light bulb moment, like I said, when it comes to bringing blockchain to central bank for financial inclusion. And then from there, I said, I think there's something there. I'm going to go figure it out. So Typical startup 101 went on discovery and research period for a bit. Um, We got lucky that um, we were able to become consultants to the Central Bank of Bahamas with our partner, Enzia. So it allowed us to, um, you know, we seeded ourselves and we we delivered, we worked with the Central Bank and delivered some work for them. Um, And that allows us to say, okay, what is this market opportunity? We built a team at the time um, and then started fundraising right after that to say, we think there's something there. We think there is an opportunity for us to develop a a set of solutions that don't exist today 
because the problems that we're hearing, we're listening differently. We're not coming in saying, you know, crypto, crypto on the central bank or the central bank adopt crypto or die. That was never our attitude walking into the door. I realized that the central banks had um, something unique when it comes to cash printing. And we knew that they did not yet understand this technology. And honestly, primarily when I started talking to central banks, I said, don't get left behind compared to the, you know, to US and Australia and, and, and Japan and Canada, because I've seen it so many times where Africa and the Caribbean get left behind when it comes to innovation. Um, so we wanted to get in the forefront and say, this technology is coming together. This is going to impact your lives, but this is a great opportunity for you to also leapfrog into an opportunity um, into, into the future. So building MTech has been um, a lot of validation. It feels really good to tap into something that um, you have a unique insight into. Um, and you were able to have a different perspective and how do you take that information? What does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Um, my background in corporate finance always leads me to how do we make money doing this? So that, of course, that's something that, um, you know, I have a nonprofit, I had a nonprofit before. So for me, it's very clear on, you know, the opportunity to bring technology in a for-profit model is something that we wanted to do. Um, and I spent over um, 10 years in software and enterprise software, uniquely around the time when, you know, licensed model versus SaaS was coming to bear. I remember one of my first um, exercise or first to-dos when I became a pricer for IBM was to take a, a, an annual license to figure out how do, we, how do we price it on an hourly basis. So the transition was happening and um, of course, seeing the market evolve and seeing the fintech unicorns that are emerging, um, we started developing, so what does this look like as a company? Um, and we got very fortunate with early investors. Um, 500 Startup was um, our official first check, the name is Venture, so, um, first, first big check, um, Nigerian based in Brooklyn. And then from there we raised, um, we raised funding. We'll be announcing our total fund closing uh, pretty soon. But so we raised money um, earlier this year to say, yes, we think we have found something. We've delivered um, on some key proof points. And around that time, we took our, our vision, took some early um, designs um, to, to show some central banks as far as what we're you know, thinking. Um, were we going in the right way of solving a problem of what we were hearing? And that really paid off for us um, as far as getting into conferences, you know, moderating panels, introducing ourselves, um, listening to them, and then circling back with what we think is a solution to their problem, um, but in a way that um, is core to our values and our mission when it comes to addressing financial inclusion and addressing and making financial markets more resilient. Um, and that's what led us here. So we have some an, an anchor. We have some basic basic skills that kind of led me to say, yes, how do we think about this? How do we um, structure to get some funding? Um, how do we go out there and talk to customers and get feedback? And then turning around, taking that validation, um, bootstrapping ourselves through, but building enough to get a yes. And then now we got the Bank of Ghana, and now we're signing three more central banks um, to start piloting our platform. Fantastic. So what's, what's the plan for 2022? What's on the roadmap and, and what's going to happen with Intech? Yes. So 2022 is the year of our official product launch. Um, we are kicking off the year with our official regulatory sandbox. And we have exciting news for the fintechs as well in this. Um, we talked to the central banks and really showing the value um, but I think you're going to see a new conversation around what regulation looks like in the digital currency era. Um, I was watching over the holiday, um, UK um, common law um, expressing and asking for comment um, on adopting smart contracts and how UK law could be embedded and become legal and be instructed and encoded via smart contracts. This is major. This is major because when you think about the use of blockchain, deployment of blockchain, 
Um, that's the adoption that is coming together. Um, there's been question in 2021, 2020, uh, blockchain or no blockchain? Is blockchain a fad? Is blockchain a thing? I mean, I think in 2022, um, you're going to see more and more conversation on, yes, Web3.0 is here. Um, the innovation is here. Everyone is talking API. Everyone is talking smart contract. Everyone is talking about blockchain. Everyone is talking about distributed ledger. You know, ESG is a big new metric that, uh, unfortunately, it's not to kind of jump on the next thing, right? But those are big decisions for major financial institutions. If you know that you're going to have to, you know, look at ESG guidelines and ESG metrics, you have to factor them in your decision today because decisions that are making being done today are going to impact the next 50 and 100 years. So that's why we're rushing to bring that to the forefront and say, how can you, as a regulator, deploy regulatory platforms that enable the ecosystem to collaborate better with you? And how can you be a better catalyst and this new world of innovation? So that's for us is going to be major theme in 2022. Then CBDC for us, um, we think this is an open market still. Um, when you think about enterprise grade level CBDC, um, the platform approach we think is something that has yet to be well defined by the market, and that's something that we're going to we're focusing on and we're building for. But also an API led model, where it is not about the central bank particularly building, you know, and offering software applications, it is about providing the right infrastructure layer. The secret is in the infrastructure layer, right? And enabling the fintechs to build their, their solutions on top of it. And that for us, those are going to be um, major themes as well later in the year, next year. Great to hear about EM Tech, and I'm sure we'll need to have a catch up and hear some more in, in 2022 because it seems like things are really uh, moving in a great direction, and, and you've done a fantastic job. So, thanks for making the time for for joining Africa Tech Summit today. Thank you, Andrew. All right, see you soon. Take care. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Nairobi 2022, taking place on February 23rd and 24th in Kenya. Africa Tech Summit Nairobi will connect 500 industry leaders and share insights from the Money and DeFi Summit, the Startup Summit, and the Mobile Summit. Network and do business with tech leaders, investors, startups, and leading ventures from the Africa Tech ecosystem over two days with multiple networking events at our 10th live edition. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Nairobi, where African tech connects February 23rd and 24th, 2022. To see more details, please visit www.africatechsummit.com. That's africatechsummit.com.